Section 21 of Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Volume 9. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Colleen McMahon. Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Volume 9. Section 21. Selected Excerpts from the Dialogues of Cicero. Old Friends Better Than New, from The Dialogue on Friendship. But there arises on this subject a somewhat difficult question, whether ever new friends, if deserving friendship, are to be preferred to old ones, just as we are wont to prefer young colts to old horses, a perplexity unworthy of a man, for there ought to be no satiety of friendship as of other things. Everything which is oldest, as those wines which bear age well, ought to be sweetest, and that is true which is sometimes said many bushels of salt must be eaten together before the duty of friendship can be fulfilled but new friendships if they afford a hope that as in the case of plants which never disappoint fruits shall appear such are not to be rejected yet the old one must be preserved in its proper place for the power of age and custom is exceedingly great besides in the very case of the horse which i just mentioned if there is no impediment, there is no one who does not more pleasurably use that to which he is accustomed, than one unbroken and strange to him. And habit asserts its power, and habit prevails, not only in the case of this, which is animate, but also in the cases of those things which are inanimate, since we take delight in the very mountainous or woody scenery among which we have long dwelt. Honored Old Age From The Dialogue on Old Age but in my whole discourse remember that i am praising that old age which is established on the foundations of youth from which this is effected which i once asserted with the great approbation of all present that wretched was the old age which had to defend itself by speaking neither gray hairs nor wrinkles can suddenly catch respect but the former part of life honorably spent reaps the fruits of authority at the close for these very observances which seem light and common are marks of honor to be saluted, to be sought after, to receive precedence, to have persons rising up to you, to be attended on the way, to be escorted home, to be consulted, points which, both among us and in other states, in proportion as they are the most excellent in their morals, are the most scrupulously observed. They say that Lysander the Lacedaemonian, whom I mentioned a little above, was accustomed to remark that Lacedaemon was the most honorable abode for old age, for nowhere is so much conceded to that time of life, nowhere is old age more respected. Nay, further, it is recorded that when at Athens during the games a certain elderly person had entered the theater, a place was nowhere offered him in that large assembly by his own townsmen, but when he had approached the Lacedaemonians, who, as they were ambassadors, had taken their seats together in a particular place, they all rose up and invited the old man to a seat, and when reiterated applause had been bestowed upon them by the whole assembly, one of them remarked that the Athenians knew what was right, but were unwilling to do it. There are many excellent rules in our college, but this of which I am treating especially, that in proportion as each man has taken the advantage in age, so he takes precedence in giving his opinion, and older augurs are preferred not only to those who are higher in office, but even to such as are in actual command. What pleasures, then, of the body can be compared with the privileges of authority? 
which they who have nobly employed seem to me to have consummated the drama of life and not like inexpert performers to have broken down in the last act still old men are peevish and fretful and passionate and unmanageable nay if we seek for such also covetous but these are the faults of their characters not of their old age and yet that peevishness and those faults which i have mentioned have some excuse not quite satisfactory indeed but such as may be admitted they fancy that they are neglected despised made a jest of besides in a weak state of body every offence is irritating all which defects however are extenuated by good dispositions and qualities and this may be discovered not only in real life but on the stage from the two brothers that are represented in the brothers how much austerity in the one and how much gentleness in the other such is the fact for as it is not every wine so it is not every man's life that grows sour from old age i approve of gravity in old age but this in a moderate degree like everything else harshness by no means what avarice in an old man can propose to itself i cannot conceive for can anything be more absurd than in proportion as less of our journey remains to seek a greater supply of provisions death is welcome to the old from the dialogue on old age an old man indeed has nothing to hope for yet he is in so much the happier state than a young one since he has already attained what the other is only hoping for the one is wishing to live long the other has lived long and yet good gods what is there in man's life that can be called long for allow the latest period let us anticipate the age of the kings of the tartessi for there dwelt as i find it recorded a man named arganthonius agatis who reigned for eighty years and lived one hundred and twenty but to my mind nothing whatever seems of long duration in which there is any end for when that arrives then the time which has passed has flowed away that only remains which you have secured by virtue and right conduct hours indeed depart from us and days and months and years nor does past time ever return nor can it be discovered what is to follow whatever time is assigned to each to live with that he ought to be content for neither need the drama be performed entire by the actor in order to give satisfaction provided he be approved in whatever act he may be nor need the wise man live till the plaudite for the short period of life is long enough for living well and honourably and if you should advance further you need no more grieve than farmers do when the loveliness of springtime hath passed that summer and autumn have come for spring represents the time of youth and gives promise of the future fruits the remaining seasons are intended for plucking and gathering in those fruits now the harvest of old age as i have often said is the recollection and abundance of blessings previously secured in truth everything that happens agreeably to nature is to be reckoned among blessings what however is so agreeable to nature as for an old man to die which even is the lot of the young though nature opposes and resists and thus it is that young men seem to me to die just as when the violence of flame is extinguished by a flood of water whereas old men die as the exhausted fire goes out spontaneously without the exertion of any force and as fruits when they are green are plucked by force from the trees but when ripe and mellow drop off so violence takes away their lives from youths maturity from old men a state which to me indeed is so delightful that the nearer i approach to death 
I seem as if it were to be getting sight of land, and at length, after a long voyage, to be just coming into harbour. Great Orators and Their Training From The Dialogue on Oratory For who can suppose that amid the great multitude of students, the utmost abundance of masters, the most eminent geniuses among men, the infinite variety of causes, the most ample rewards offered to eloquence, there is any other reason to be found for the small number of orators than the incredible magnitude and difficulty of the art. A knowledge of a vast number of things is necessary, without which volubility of words is empty and ridiculous. Speech itself is to be formed, not merely by choice, but by careful construction of words, and all the emotions of the mind which nature has given to man must be intimately known for all the force and art of speaking must be employed in allaying or exciting the feelings of those who listen to this must be added a certain portion of grace and wit learning worthy of a well-bred man and quickness and brevity in replying as well as attacking accompanied with a refined decorum and urbanity besides the whole of antiquity and a multitude of examples is to be kept in the memory nor is the knowledge of laws in general, or of the civil law in particular, to be neglected. And why need I add any remarks on delivery itself, which is to be ordered by action of body, by gesture, by look, and by modulation and variation of the voice, the great power of which, alone and in itself, the comparatively trivial art of actors and the stage proves, on which, though all bestow their utmost labor to form their look, voice, and gesture, who knows not how few there are and have ever been to whom we can attend with patience what can i say of that repository for all things the memory which unless it be made the keeper of the matter and words that are the fruits of thought and invention all the talents of the orator we see though they be of the highest degree of excellence will be of no avail let us then cease to wonder what is the cause of the scarcity of good speakers since eloquence results from all those qualifications in each of which singly it is a great merit to labor successfully and let us rather exhort our children and others whose glory and honor is dear to us to contemplate in their minds the full magnitude of the object and not to trust that they can reach the height at which they aim by the aid of the precepts masters and exercises that they are all now following but to understand that they must adopt others of a different character in my opinion, indeed, no man can be an orator possessed of every praiseworthy accomplishment unless he has attained the knowledge of everything important and of all liberal arts. For his language must be ornate and copious from knowledge, since unless there be beneath the surface matter understood and felt by the speaker, oratory becomes an empty and almost puerile flow of words. I am then of opinion, said Crassus, that nature and genius in the first place contribute most aid to speaking and that to those writers on the art to whom antonius just now alluded it was not skill and method in speaking but natural talent that was wanting for there ought to be certain lively powers in the mind and understanding which may be acute to invent fertile to explain and adorn and strong and retentive to remember and if any one imagines that these powers may be acquired by art which is false for it is very well if they can be animated and excited by art but they certainly cannot by art be engrafted or instilled since they are all the gifts of nature what will he say of those qualities which are certainly born with the man himself viability of tongue tone of voice strength of lungs 
and the peculiar conformation and aspect of the whole countenance and body. I do not say that art cannot improve in these particulars, for I am not ignorant that what is good may be made better by education, and what is not very good may be in some degree polished and amended. But there are some persons so hesitating in their speech, so inharmonious in their tone of voice, or so unwieldy and rude in the air and movements of their bodies, that whatever power they possess, either from genius or art, they can never be reckoned in the number of accomplished speakers. While there are others so happily qualified in these respects, so eminently adorned with the gifts of nature, that they seem not to have been born like other men, but molded by some divinity. It is indeed a great task and enterprise for a person to undertake and profess that while everyone else is silent, he alone must be heard on the most important subjects, and in a large assembly of men, for there is scarcely any one present who is not sharper and quicker to discover defects in the speaker than merits. And thus whatever offends the hearer effaces the recollection of what is worthy of praise. I do not make these observations for the purpose of altogether deterring young men from the study of oratory, even if they be deficient in some natural endowments. For who does not perceive that to see Calius, my contemporary, a new man, the mere mediocrity in speaking which he was enabled to attain was a great honor? Who does not know that Q. Varius, your equal in age, a clumsy, uncouth man, has obtained his great popularity by the cultivation of such faculties as he has? But as our inquiry regards the complete orator, we must imagine in our discussion an orator from whom every kind of fault is abstracted, and who is adorned with every kind of merit. For if the multitude of suits, if the variety of causes, if the rabble and barbarism of the forum afford room for even the most wretched speakers, we must not, for that reason, take our eyes from the object of our inquiry. In those arts in which it is not indispensable usefulness that is sought, but liberal amusement for the mind, how nicely, how almost fastidiously do we judge! For there are no suits or controversies which can force men, though they may tolerate indifferent orators in the forum, to endure also bad actors upon the stage. The orator, therefore, must take the most studious precaution not merely to satisfy those whom he necessarily must satisfy, but to seem worthy of admiration to those who are at liberty to judge disinterestedly. If you would know what I myself think, I will express to you, my intimate friends, what I have hitherto never mentioned, and thought that I never should mention. To me, those who speak best, and speak with the utmost ease and grace, appear, if they do not commence their speeches with some timidity, and show some confusion in the exordium, to have almost lost the sense of shame, though it is impossible that such should not be the case. For the better qualified a man is to speak, the more he fears the difficulties of speaking the uncertain success of a speech, and the expectation of the audience. But he who can produce and deliver nothing worthy of his subject, nothing worthy of the name of an orator, nothing worthy the attention of his audience, seems to me, though he be ever so confused while he is speaking, to be downright shameless. For we ought to avoid a character for shamelessness, not by testifying shame, but by not doing that which does not become us. But the speaker who has no shame, as I see to be the case with many, I regard as deserving not only of a rebuke, but of personal castigation. Indeed, what I often observe in you, I very frequently experience in myself, 
that I turn pale in the outset of my speech, and feel a tremor through my whole thoughts, as it were, and limbs. When I was a young man I was on one occasion so timid in commencing an accusation, that I owed to Q. Maximus the greatest of obligations for immediately dismissing the assembly as soon as he saw me absolutely disheartened and incapacitated through fear. Here they all signified assent, looked significantly at one another, and began to talk together, for there was a wonderful modesty in Crassus, which, however, was not only no disadvantage to his oratory, but even an assistance to it, by giving it the recommendation of probity. End of section 21 Recording by Colleen McMahon.